it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube as part of the Empire Media Network. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Today, some great draft insight with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we dig into his film study of Washington's draft class, why he really likes Fedarian Mathis, and another player that has him excited. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. He does some excellent film breakdowns on Instagram. You can read me, of course, on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about the NFL draft experience from different perspectives. I talked to parents, an agent, a coach, general manager, some players, including Dax Milne. I also talked to Greg Curl, who is Cam Curl's father. Um, it was a fun story to work on. You'll learn a lot about the draft process. There's some interesting stuff from Ron Rivera about what he looked for at Pro Day, something I didn't expect. So give it a read. Also, before I get started, now that the NHL playoffs are here, give the All's Caps podcast a listen. That's ALZ Caps. It's with Associated Press NHL hockey writer Steve Wino and former Washington Capitol Carl Alsner. They offer terrific insight. Again, that's ALZ CAPS. Before I play my conversation, a couple nuggets. I don't think Washington will be signing anyone for maybe another couple of weeks, somewhere in there. Again, this is around the period where they start to see what they have. If you remember last year, they, they traded for Charles Leno and signed DeAndre Carter a couple of weeks from now. So that's a sense I get because, again, they want to see what they have, how players either have grown since last season as far as their understanding of assignments, et cetera, and how rookies process information and then take that to the field. Based on that, then they'll see what else they need. So for someone like Landon Collins, who is still out there, if he was to return, unless something changes, it doesn't sound like it would be now. Again, unless something changes. In that case, they truly want to see how fourth-round pick Percy Butler fits in their nickel package. He is a guy that they're excited about. He's not Landon Collins. He has different strengths. But in some of their nickel packages, he could be a third safety up in coverage, possibly as a slightly as a almost like a bigger corner in a sense to cover a tight end. If they want someone a little bigger in those packages, they drop Butler back, pairing with Bobby McCain, and have Cam Curl come up in the box. McCain can also go up and cover in those situations as well. So what they like about Butler is it gives them some versatility in the back end if you're able to if he's able to go and show that he can take what he learns in the classroom and apply it to the field. And there's only one way to find out. It does, and again, it gives them options. So they want to see how Butler learns a D before reacting and going to add someone else. Clearly, he won't have all the plays down, all that, but it's really how does he process the information they learn in the classroom and what does he do with it on the field? I still think they're going to sign a linebacker. I know that was a big point of emphasis 
that we kept telling you and that that you kept we kept hearing. I do keep hearing a lot about Cole Holcomb and how they feel he progressed and what they hope he can do. We'll see. Okay, that's one of those let's see it. But they also know that he is helped by having a smart veteran alongside him at times. And again, I go back to that Eagles game when he was paired with David Mayo and they liked how he was with, with Bostick early in the year when Bostick was healthy. But Mayo, again, Mayo was like a coach on the field, um, not going to be a starter, shouldn't be a starter, but he was a guy that could help clarify things for Holcomb. So that's what they kind of need too. There aren't a lot of linebackers available. One who's interesting to me is Blake Martinez. I know there was interest here from in him when he was a free agent in 2020. Um, the, he was signed with the Giants. The problem is he's coming off a torn ACL. But if I think depending on how this plays out, he would be one that I would say, sure, I would watch that one because, again, I know there was interest previously. And we know they need more bodies at this position. One reason they added guard Trey Turner this week is because they wanted, and, as, and I just say they're going to wait, but they added him because they wanted a certain number of players at each spot. And with the line, uh, their line coach, John Matsko, felt like they were one short there for what they usually have at this point. So that's why they obviously, and they know Turner very well because they coached him in Carolina. They also felt that he played well for Pittsburgh last season. And I think I read some stuff um, from other people in Pittsburgh who felt like he had did a nice job um, as well. I do think that he'll help them. And again, if nothing else, they've improved their depth with him up front because he can also play center. Finally, I'm going to go back to Mathis for one minute. One thing that they loved hearing from the Alabama coaches, Mathis was an unselfish player. They knew the Alabama coaches knew they could run stunts with him because he didn't care about putting up his numbers. So he'd be the so quote unquote drive guy, the guy who would basically set the pick so the, um, someone else could stunt off that and get free to the quarterback. Now, he did have some success getting to the quarterback with that, but his primary um, way, of, the primary way of using him was as that drive guy. Um, if you recall, Washington's defensive line was not known for its unselfish play early last year. I felt there were times that John Allen and Montez Sweat started to show it, especially I go back to that Denver game too, he was showing it, and then Sweat got hurt. But it's another subtle way that Mathis can help. And I'm not saying he's going to be some stud here, but I think he's the kind of guy who does a lot of little things that will help a team win. So I think that's why I think whatever you think about how, where he was picked, I think still think he's a guy who will help. Anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we dive into this draft class. His thoughts on all the draft picks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Logan Paulson. Again, you can follow him on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Logan, first of all, thank you for coming on as always. And you know, your insight into this stuff is always terrific. And I know how much you study this and it's not just a, Hey, I watch this guy. Want to watch all this stuff breaking down and all that. So 
you know this draft class well. And it just in general, what after this weekend, what jumped out to you about Washington's draft class? So, yeah, I think the, the main thing that jumped out to me was just that it was very solid. You know, like I've been using the analogy that it's like they've hit a whole bunch of doubles in baseball. You know, they haven't done anything crazy. They're not hitting home runs necessarily. They're not going for these high upside guys, but they found guys who are going to be solid, solid to good NFL pros like right out of the gate. And that's not even that's not even accounting for their growth. They're just professionals that you can tell by the like when you watch the film. Jahan Dotson, like he understands the nuance of the position. He understands the intellectual kind of component, which you can't say for everybody. He's seen different coverages. So it's not going to be like, you know, when Deami Brown came in, for example, not to criticize him, right. but he came from an offense that was very particular. He ran goes, he ran posts, RPO based, and he didn't have this kind of Rolodex of route acumen, which Jahan Dotson does. So he's going to come in and be able to start day one of you contributor day one just because of what you see on film and then obviously the interview process adds to that right and I think um you know the tackle from Alabama Mathis I think is is kind of the same way he plays he plays a position that isn't very like sexy he plays defensive tackle and he has because he plays nose but when you watch him in Alabama he plays three he plays nose he plays five techniques so it gives you some flexibility and also he plays with kind of a motor that you want to see he does like he understands that I call it the dark arts of stopping the run he understands how to split double teams he understands how to get his hands on people he understands how to play with great length you know he's got 34 and a half inch arms which is awesome length for an interior defensive player he comes from an awesome program he was been a captain there like these guys have just tremendous pedigrees you know Robinson's a five-year player at Alabama his film is awesome the way he, I love his vision of the way he reads runs he's just a solid consistent football player which I love and then you know I think that's that's awesome and you've added two picks in the draft this year which is what you needed to do yeah Butler is a guy that I wasn't high on it because I didn't know anything about him it's like in some ways I'm a fan in that way right you hear all these big names you know all these kind of high profile safeties like one of those guys has to go and you see Butler play and you're like oh my gosh this guy is he's fast to the football he's got good physicality he's got nice range he's going to be able to do some stuff like outside of just play special teams with that fourth round pick. I don't know if he's going to be the Buffalo nickel right away, but at least you see a path for him on the field. He's got a skill set that gets you excited. And that's how you feel about almost every pick in the draft for them. At least those first four, right? They're all going to come in, be able to play significant minutes for you and make this football team better. And so I'm, I'm very pleased with it. I know there's some, some conversations about draft value, which we can get into later, but you know, those four picks I think are awesome. Obviously, Sam Howell in the fifth is tremendous value and a guy that can grow. Um, the tight end out of Nevada, I think, is a guy that I'm not as high on as others, but I see why you take a gamble on him in the fifth. And then the cornerback has good length and good measurables and jumped out the gym at his pro day. So there's a guy you take a flyer on in the seventh. And then Chris Paul, the uh, the tackle guard, he's probably going to play guard here, is a guy that I had as a scheme fit from they could have taken anywhere from around four to seven just because he fit the scheme here so well and his physicality was so nice why did he why did you why do you say he fit the scheme scheme so well because he's a big body he's a thick lower half guy and he's aggressive in the run game like this scheme this tight zone scheme that they run here they said they're going to try to get to more outside zone i'm talking about the commanders now but you need big bodies uh thick lower halves i'm going to say to move people and he's got that and he and you can tell he likes kind of that playing to the whistle playing to the shade of the whistle and um, and that's awesome for this type of scheme. He's got to do some growing from a technical standpoint, but he's a good athlete. He's a big body and he's got like this kind of edge to the way he plays the game. A lot of polish needs to be put on that guy, but 
again, for a seventh round pick, he's got a lot of upside. I think that's what you're looking for later in the draft. I want to go back to Mathis because yeah. you and I have talked about him since they drafted him. Yeah. And, you know, when they picked him, like the guy that I liked there was, was Brisker from Penn state, yeah. but it's not like I'm studying every guy. I just happened to watch him. I knew they liked him and I know they still like him. Yeah. Um, just because you draft someone else doesn't mean they don't like a guy. It just means how the board goes. But after they picked Mathis and going back and watching him, a couple things jumped out to me. And I want to get your thoughts on all this. And when you, you bring up the double teams, one thing I noticed with Alabama's linebackers, <clears throat> excuse me, clean to the ball. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, they want here. And that's not that John Allen and Deron Payne aren't good. They're really good. But this guy knows how to occupy blockers. Yes. Um, and then the other thing is the ability to play the nose. Because I think yeah. people look at this and say, oh, well, they lost Settle and Ionitis. Why don't you just keep them instead of drafting another guy? But he does things that they don't do. So if you can go a little bit into that and just the need for that, why he can occupy maybe more so than Payne and Allen could and the impact of that. So I've been hearing a lot lately that people should that that the team should have drafted a linebacker. You know they they need upgraded linebacker position. But this is what picking Mathis in the second helps the guys you already have who are high upside guys. You say what you want about Jamin Davis, he is a very high upside player just from a physical tool standpoint. Cole Holcomb is a very high tools standpoint. He projects well just because they run well to the ball. The thing that they both struggle with is taking on blocks. Right. So one way to mitigate that and make them more effective is to find a guy who understands how to get who and when to get his hands on people to keep guys covered up. And so what that means is like when the center is trying to reach the nose, the guard is working the double team, right? So instead of just kind of playing head up on the center, he knows to play half of a man off the center and throw his hip into the guard. And then the guard is not used to kind of that big body thickness there. The center, he uses his long arms and the center is kind of pushing him into the guard and he ends up taking up two people and it gives the linebackers a, one 1,000 to see and react to the run and fit their gap in a way that they need to, right? Everyone talked about uh, Christian Harris at Alabama and how he would win this great fit here. Part of the reason he's successful, part of the reason he did, he's 6'1", 220. He never had to touch a guard because he had guys like Mathis in front of him, guys who understood how to do this. And, you know, I, you know, I, I was a big proponent before the draft of taking a guy like Jordan Davis, right? A guy who could eat space. This guy eats that same space, but you've seen him do it with a level of consistency and professionalism that isn't in Jordan Davis's tape. And he's got more snaps to his name, right? He's done it more frequently. One of the things Jordan Davis only 300 snaps last year. Mathis is not in that same pantheon. He plays football. He plays first and second down. He rushes a little on third down. And he's got a little bit more athleticism to him than Jordan Davis, who's a freak athlete. You know, I think the athleticism, what I mean by that is he's a guy who understands how to run in pursuit of the football at a really high level down and in, down out. So he's a guy that I think elevates all three levels of your defense. And, you know, like in terms of value, like you know, everyone says Brisker would have been great value there. I think that cog in the front, a guy that makes the two linebackers better, a guy that makes your Buffalo nickel package more effective, a guy that makes your five down front more effective. Like that's a no brainer to me almost, you know, and like you talk, we've talked about fit at nauseum this off season, because that's something Ron has emphasized. And when you talk about fit, this guy fits the defensive philosophy and it impacts everything they do from a front standpoint, because now they've got a guy who understands how to play a nose, how to play a double team, how to split a double team, how to give the linebackers time. And then you also get a little bit more of an athletic element with them, which is great. So I think it's a great pick 
for the for the commanders. Now, other teams might have not have valued him as highly because it's not the right fit. It's not the right scheme. It doesn't have the same impact. But here you push that up in value because you know how important that true nose is. Like I remember watching numerous games last year and Payne and Allen are great football players, but they're not nose guards. They don't understand that the principle there. They want to rush the pass. They want to use their athleticism. You need a guy in who can kind of get in there and mess it up with those big di- big guys inside. And I think Mathis, Mathis brings that skill set while having a tick more athleticism than your average nose guard, like a guy like Travis Jones out of UConn. And, and you know, going back to Payne, because Payne has been playing that nose position. And yeah. I know, like, one of the reasons why they've liked him is because he can do that better than others on this roster. Right. But that's still not necessarily his strength. Right. So, what, like, why is it? Is there something more? Because, like, he's obviously a big guy. Is yeah. it more just an understanding? I don't want to say understanding. Is that, you know, but is it an understanding of, like, how you need to play? Or is it just more of the mindset of how you play? Why is I, that? You know, I think it's funny because if you could teach every interior diff- defensive player to play nose guard, you wouldn't have a shortage of them because a lot of the most athletic guys play three technique. And one of the things about three technique is you're lined up on the outside shoulder of the guards. So you get a lot of one-on-one blocks. And when you play nose, I remember talking to Kedrick Golston, who was one of the best nose guards that I played with. You have to deal with not only that kind of angled block to you on the man reach, but you have to deal with the play side guard reaching you. You have to deal with a pull. You have to deal with a pin. There's like six or seven combinations you can get from a three-man combination in there that while on the edge, you only get four or something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but you have to know and kind of just have these built-in reactions. Oh, guards blocking down. I got a long arm the guard cross face and get in my new gap, right? Oh, I'm getting reach. I got a long arm the center while touching the play side shoulder of the guard. So it doesn't run up. You know, I mean, there's it's just different sequencing, right? And um, and you need a guy who understands it, who really gets it. And it's like I, I say like the dark arts, because it is like it's like a martial art playing in there, right? Where to put my hands, how to leverage people, how to turn shoulders, how to get through on double teams, right? Like one of the things I love about them, this is an old school technique. When you get a double, like pop into a knee, right? Because it yep. sinks your hips. John it, Allen does that well. Yeah, and it out leverages the, the 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 double team. So one of the guys usually gets impatient, leaves, and for him to be able to pop to a knee at 320 pounds and then pop back up immediately and make the tackle, I think speaks to the kind of guy you're getting. You just get a guy Saw who gets him. it. Yeah. Saw that against Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. I mean, every team that tried to double him, that's what he was doing, right? And so I just got a lot of respect for that skill set. And it was something that they needed to address. Like I, it was such, such a need for me that I thought they might go Jordan Davis at 11. So think about that. That would have been a reach at 11 for yeah, Jordan I know Davis. you did. You, we talked about that before the draft. You would bring that up. Yeah. And so now I think this is kind of the best of both worlds. You get a receiver in Jahan Dotson with your first round pick. You get a nose. And then you get kind of a bonus pick with that third round draft pick in the running back. So to me, it, it like kind of shakes out almost perfectly now. How much ceiling does he have is the question I think a lot of people have. But when I watch him, like, I think there is. I think there's more in the tank there. And I think he's going to be a really good pro. And people think that's a knock on him. But, like, you want good pros. You want your roster to have be full of good pros. That's how you build a good roster, right, is with good pros. Yeah. Yeah. Well, And and that's, like, to me, like, the floor is higher with these guys. I don't know where the ceiling goes. But if you get four guys – you know, with Dotson and Mathis and, and Robinson and then Butler, yeah. those four guys become if three three starters and a big yeah. contributor. That's really good for a draft. That's, that's fantastic. And I kind of feel like the last couple of years, they've taken some like high, high ceiling players, you know, Jamin Davis, right. Benjamin St. Juice, some of these guys with high ceilings. And I don't want to say they've been burned, but it does 
shape your future evaluation, right? Because you say, oh, well, like we went for high upside last year. Like what is, what's something that is going to get us on base? And I look at this and I say, they just, they did a great job of, of not only getting on base, but kind of, you know, getting doubles and triples with these picks that are going to be contributors to the roster and flesh out the depth. And then, like I said, they might end up being, you know, like think about, just take Robinson. I know everyone, and even argue value of running back in the third round. But right. Think about if you convert, I don't know, two more, short yardage situations a game like how significant is that by having his skill set and his power running style on the roster that's extremely valuable and when you frame it like that the people they go oh that is really valuable because that's an area that this team struggled with last last year that's an area that antonio gibson does not excel in so bringing a guy who's got a hard head firm running style understands the short yardage situations that can help you get those kind of like instead of at a 45 percent hit rate we're at a 60 percent hit rate and that's a huge deal in the nfl and and I and he can be more than just that too. And that like what else? What, you know. And again, like I agree with you. Third round for the back, you can you can debate that, and that's yeah. fine. All that stuff you can debate. And I'm not going to tell people that you can't say that he was. We don't know. And ultimately, Logan, it's always like, what do they show on the field? That's when yeah. we know if they're overdrafted, drafted the right spot or not. But right. with Robinson, what else do you think he can add besides that? Because we, you know, with 17 game season. You want another guy, but also Ron always brings up in Carolina, everybody loves that, that they had the two-headed monster um, at times with the running back. So how important is it to have that other guy, and what else could he add? Well, it's something that I've been calling for for a long time. And, like, you know, we talked about this, and I said in terms of fit before the draft even started that Robinson would be a great fit. And a lot of people are like, well, why is that? Yeah, we talked about him. I remember that. Yeah, and it's essentially the same question you're asking now. And one of the reasons is I think – Antonio Gibson is a speed slash power back, right? But he's a converted wide receiver. So his body isn't like calcified to the position, I would think. So you want to keep him as fresh as you can. Like I think about the Buffalo game. I think about, you know, the, uh, the Seattle, the, the Seattle play up the sideline where it gets called back. You don't have a guy of that size and that kind of um, speed outside of Derrick Henry very often. Right. Mm-hmm. But you need to make sure he's fresh and ready to go. I think, you know, he doesn't have like the workhorse mentality of a guy like Derrick Henry. So how do you how do you balance that? You needed a guy who can who can play running back at a starting level in the NFL that you feel comfortable rotating in there consistently, keeping him fresh for not only the game but also for the entire season. I'm talking about Gibson now, while not having any significant drop off. And I think that's what he gives you, right? He just makes you more effective throughout the year. You know what I mean? He's, you're not going to get a hurt Antonio Gibson with like a shin issue for seven games, right? You're going to need a guy who like 20, 20 runs is probably too many touches in the run game for Antonio Gibson. Right. But he's your best runner in between the tackles. Right. So let's, how do we mitigate that? You bring another guy who's outstanding between the tackles and then you limit his touches to 10 to 12. Right. I think Antonio Gibson's still going to get the, the, the lion's share of the carries, but now you have a guy with eight carries who can do some damage. And then Antonio Gibson now can be deployed in the passing game, which people have been calling for for years now, right? And I think that's what this gives you. It gives you some flexibility offensively, gives you some kind of injury protection, injury insulation, and an insurance policy if, and if, if Gibson does get hurt again, right? So I think having all of those pieces available at, at, from this guy is super important. He's a good pro. Like, I loved his interview answer. He's like, he said, I want people who are passionate about football around me. And to me as an evaluator, that is like music to my ears. And having that kind of personality 
along um, with Mathis, who also said something similar yeah. in the locker room is extremely valuable, like in its own right, but then also their skill sets athletically and from a play style standpoint are also very valuable. So, um, you know, and it's funny, you mentioned running back value. Like I thought that was a little high for running back. And I called one of my buddies uh, in the NFL and he said, that's when you take a running back is in the third round. Like that's where the value is. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Like, and there, so there is that, there is that school of thought out there that that's, if you're going to do it, that's when you do it, which I was a little surprised by. Cause I was kind of getting after Kyle. I was like, man, why is he always taking the third round running backs? And my buddy was like, that's where the value is. And so if that's the pervasive thought you get one with like basically the last pick of the third round, it's almost a fourth round pick. You feel good about it going in, you get your future pieces there. And also he, he does something significant for your roster and he's a great character guy. So check, check, check. There, to me, there's no downside to the pick necessarily. And you know, it's funny going back to that. I talked to somebody about dots and I said, what did you think? It's like, Go, I think 16 was a little bit too high. And this is another it's a head coach. And then I said, well, he, he said he said that. And he goes, but if you like him, you take him. So in other words, like, I mean, people in the league understand now you're going to look, I'm sure they're going to be, listen, we all know with all these picks, someone's going to say like, I didn't like that guy at all. There right. are times that these guys have picked someone I hear another team didn't even have them on their board. Sometimes that scheme fit, it could be an injury issue. It could be a character thing. But it could be multiple things. But a lot of times you just say, listen, if you like the guy, you take him. And like this guy liked this receiver, but he's like at 16, I don't know. But if they do, then the other point, I think you may have made this point to me about Mathis, that 47 was where they picked him, obviously. And there were some people who had him, I think, I don't know, it was McShay had him in that range. And then someone else, Dane Brugler, had him in the 60s or whatever. I talked to an agent who um, does basically has his own board and it's based on his information that he gets from teams. And he had Mathis in the third round. Well, let's say these guys really like him and they know they can't get him in the third round because you're picking late. So maybe you get them few, few picks higher, yeah. but like, you know, if you like him and you feel like he can do this and then you feel like maybe nobody else beyond that point can do that. Right. You know, I think there's a lot of things that you take into consideration. I think that's 100% right. And after doing my own mock draft and like doing my own big board and like watching the draft unfold, I realized it's not, there's not this thing, like there's not draft value necessarily. It's not this, this like absolute thing, right? Like it's more binary than that. It's like, is he a good right. football player? How does he stack up with the guys around him? And if, and it could be incrementally different because oftentimes it is like, how do you compare what Brisker brings as a safety to all those things that I, I just mentioned about Mathis. Like, how do you compare the two things? Obviously Brisker is going to have more tackles, but what about the more tackles that Jamin gets or the more tackles that Cole gets or the more, or the more pressures that Payne gets because he's fresher on third down, right? What about that? That that's, that has value. That's not going to necessarily be tied to him, but how do you weigh that? And I think that's the thing that became really challenging. And basically I had to settle on the fact that like, if he's a good football player and I think he's, and I, and I would take him feel comfortable taking him between the second and third round. Why not do it? And that's basically what I settled on with, with the pick. Like he's, he's good enough. Like, could you nitpick it? Yes, but he's good enough to fill this role and make this football team better. I think that's, I think that's the important thing for fans to understand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You brought up two passion, and I think there are a few guys that I think Percy Butler displays that on the field, especially. I think um, the corner um, it, it also talked about about that as well, uh, um, Holmes, and and just you know, being a leader and, and Federis was a leader. How many guys do you think in the locker room that you play with have a true passion for football? That, that's a really good question. And one of the big knocks you hear from evaluators, you hear from coaches is the guy doesn't love football. And that, you know, I had, a, I, I told you this story before, but one of my favorite evaluators that I've ever talked to, to spoken with said, that's the most important variable when evaluating talent. And I was like, why? Like, you know, isn't the 40 or the whatever, the catch, the production. He's like, no, man, because if they aren't passionate about football, like they're not going to get better. Like they just are who they are. And you give them a whole bunch of money, they're not going to care. And so having guys that have that in them, you know, that have that desire, I think ensures that they're getting better. And then you see it immediately, right? Like when guys come in and they're just kind of laissez-faire about, um, about football, like they don't progress because like, uh, someone said this to me one time, like Logan, like, how did you get your footwork down? How did you, how did you get your footwork down as a blocker? I said, well, I would, I was compulsive about it. I'd go back to my hotel room. I'd sit in the chair when the TV was on. And I just walked my steps for an hour. And they said, really? It's like, dude, when you didn't go out, I said, no, I wanted to be the best football player I could be. And not everyone has that in them. Like I, I do some consulting for the combine and you give guys drills. It's kind of in the off season and the guys who really want it, they check in with you. And you know that that whatever you saw from them is not their ceiling. They're going to progress. So you feel really good recommending those kids because you're like, oh, he's going to be a much better football player down the road. So I think having those people that love football in the room, it just gives you it's like a warm blanket for a coach. It's a security blanket. And like I played with a lot of dudes who don't love football. They never got better. And they were OK with that. And that's their that's their prerogative. But it wasn't my prerogative. Percy Butler, I know you had a chance to watch him. I actually be. Earlier today, I hadn't. I was able to watch him a little bit. Yeah. The dude, the dude knocks some can knock some people out. I mean, he yeah. plays aggressively, plays fast with special teams, whether it's from scrimmage, it's fast. What what do you think about him? You well, seem you know, to be like, excited about him. Yeah. So like you, so I read a little bit something about him. Oh, this many tackles, whatever. Um, you know, he's special teams guy only in the NFL. And so you kind of go into the film with that mindset and you're like, man, like this guy's really ripping in the football. Like by ripping, I mean, he's running fast. Like he's running by people. He is possessed to make the tackle. And uh, then you look up his speed. He runs a four, three, six, the combine, like, holy cow. And that shows up on tape. He's physical. He pops people. I think at times he can be a little bit over aggressive, which, you know, hopefully you can work that out of him. But you see his passion. You see he's a good blitzer. He's a good fit in the run. He's okay in coverage, especially man coverage. As the post player, I think he's a little tight-hipped at times. Like he's a little, um, he gets a little rattled in his backpedal. But I think that's all stuff that can be corrected, especially with good coaching. Um, but I love him. I, I like the way he plays, man. And like, you know, I was a little bit like, oh, I've never heard of this guy. Who's this guy? Same thing, same reaction a fan would have. But then you watch the film and you see and you see his resume and you say, 
holy cow, man, they've got a player who is not only going to contribute on special teams because he's a maven in that department, but also like he's going to play some football on on defense for them, you know, which is something you can't say always of special teams guys, Troy Apke being case in point, right? Like this guy is going to be able to play and he might be able to play that Buffalo nickel role. And he could also, you know, this is the other great thing about him is he's got enough speed where you could put him in a cover two, you could put him in a quarters and let Cam Pearl play the um, play the Buffalo nickel. If, if, it, if you had to move some pieces around, he gives you some flexibility. But I also think I wouldn't mind seeing him there because he covers so much grass. And that's, I, I love seeing that from safeties. And I love seeing how he's not afraid of contact when he gets there. He, does he miss tackles? Yes. And, but oftentimes, cause he's being over aggressive and I'd rather that than the alternative. And that's where, that's where like, sometimes you'll see a missed arm tackle and something yes. like that because you're coming up very aggressive. And, and yeah. that's the thing at his size is a little bit smaller than Landon, yeah. obviously faster than Landon, but a little bit yeah. smaller. How does that impact that Buffalo nickel? Do you think And based on his play style and all that? It's a little, I mean, that is a little bit of a concern for me because he's like 196 pounds or something, but he's like a slight build. Like Brisker was like one, like 200, something like that. Not a big guy, but he, you could tell he's just got a like broader he's, shoulders, he's thicker really legs. Out. And uh, this guy's a little bit more wiry in his build. Uh, so that is a concern, you know, playing a 17 game season or yeah, 17 game season is a long time, especially dealing with um, NFL offensive guys. But um, and so maybe he kind of is a rotational piece, you know, and um, and maybe he doesn't play the Buffalo nickel. Maybe you feel more comfortable with Cam doing that. And maybe they have two versions of the Buff Buffalo nickel, one where Jamin plays it and one, you know, depending or on Cole. I think Cole Holcomb yeah. would be the linebacker who would probably do it if they right. did, if they Cole. if they went that way. Yeah, and then you have maybe like a Buffalo package where Cole's the guy, right. and then one where Cam's the guy, and then one right. where he's the guy, and that would that would be okay, you know, and having that kind of flexibility. So I think it, it gives you a piece that you feel good about playing in multiple spots, which frees up some of your other talent to do some different stuff. So yeah, the, the slight build is a is a little bit of a concern, but you know he doesn't have an extensive injury history, and he doesn't seem to like one of the things like when you watch Kyle Hamilton, for example. He'd always ding himself when he was tackling. He'd go in for a tackle and he'd get up all kind of woozy or he'd be holding his arm. Like this kid doesn't do that, even though he's coming up like a lunatic. So something different in how in the <clears throat> in the approach, but I like him a lot. And again, like you don't know until you see them play at the NFL level, but I, I like what they did with those first four picks. They're not the sexiest picks in the whole world, but I think they're guys who are going to play football for this team this season. And like that's fantastic draft strategy if that's what you're doing. Well, the, the word I heard too with Dotson was most pro ready. They felt yeah. they felt the two most pro ready receivers were Dotson and Olave, yeah. and they gave up. They basically traded away from Olave to get Dotson and a few other picks. So that and they turned I think one of those picks into Sam Howell eventually. <clears throat> so they yeah. got I think it was four players out of that pick. Right. So um, and I you which, know I'm a, yeah. Which in terms of draft strategy, like in draft analytics, like you can't beat that. Chris Olave versus four other players. Like, I don't care how good Chris Olave is. He's not going to be worth, worth those four other players. Sam Howell, what'd you think? So Sam Howell, man, uh, I think in the fifth round, I think that's good value. I think, you know, especially given how people were talking about him pre-draft. I've, I've we've talked about this before. I've never been like a big Sam Howell advocate. I think he's got a good arm. I think he's got a nice competitiveness to his game, to his play style, which I always like, I'm always going to err on the side of the guy who's more competitive because it speaks to a, a passion and a love for football. And that's something that I don't get in the interview process, but if it shows up on tape, I love that. Like the way he runs the football, I don't think it translates well to the NFL, but it again, shows a competitive physical 
style that I think speaks to good leadership and speaks to a guy who's going to get better and improve. Um, it's a little different than the, the model of quarterback I thought they were looking for. His release is a little bit slow. He comes from an RPO-based system, so the evaluation is even more difficult. Sometimes I wonder like how he sees the field. But again, I think if you're betting on somebody, and it's in the fifth round is the time to do that, a guy who's competitive and, and obviously loves football, I think is a way to go. Um, big arm, has some upside, um, but has a lot of growing to do. So it's not like he's going to come in day one and be in competition with Carson Wentz or anything like that. He's got a little bit of work to do on his game. But, you know, a guy that I think has a lot of upside, and that's exciting to take a, take, take a flyer on a guy at that point in the draft. Yeah, in the fifth round, sure. And I know they go back to his um... – Pre is 2020 tape Correct, yeah. for, you know, to give a full evaluation, you know, I'll admit, like, I wasn't a big, I was not, I was not a big Sam Howe guy. I did hear his name a lot from, well, not a lot. <clears throat> I heard his name in relation to quarterbacks from over here leading into the draft. So I knew they liked him, but like at that point, you're not thinking they're going to take him because everything projected him in the upper rounds. And it just shows you how crazy this draft was. And like, and how these quarterbacks were probably drafted in some cases around where they probably should have been, right, um, yeah, yeah. you know, but um, so we'll see with him, but I, I think it's worth a flyer. If he, if he progresses, if he shows progression this year, maybe you have your backup to replace if Taylor Heineke leaves after the season, because his right. contract is up. And if not, you have Taylor and you have Carson and you can go try and get another guy next year and, you know, do whatever. So I think it's yeah. a no harm, no foul situation. Cole Turner. Um, they, what stood out watching him was the wide catch radius. You see yep. that. That was a big phrase for Ron Rivera this weekend with Dotson, with Turner. But what did you see? Yeah, so I see a guy um, in the Nevada offense who has, who's got a limited route tree. So it's hard to kind of project exactly what he is at the NFL. The thing that I think stuck out to me is I think he does have a wide catch radius. He's got strong hands, if not sometimes inconsistent. Um, but he's got strong hands, wide catch radius. Uh the thing that bothers me about him as a player is that he's kind of stiff. So when he runs and like, you think he's tall, he's six, six, so he's a big guy, but you know, they throw the goal line fade and he's like opening his shoulders before the ball is even there because he's not, he doesn't have the dexterity to like sell the go and then turn off one foot and get that back shoulder ball. So I think that is something that I'm a little concerned about. And again, I watched every single one of his routes just kind of like to search for what the staff would be looking for. And the thing that kind of popped out to me is, there were times where he got pressed man and you got to see some nice short area quickness. Now that wasn't all the time because of that offense that they run in Nevada is, a, is like kind of a, you know, that, that run and gun down the field, um, Mike Leach type of offense. But I think he does have a, have a, have some, have some twitch to him and, you know, coming out of the senior bowl, there were whispers about that. And so maybe he had more of an opportunity to show that at the senior bowl and the senior bowl, quite frankly, is a big part of, Ron and the staff's evaluation because you get to see smaller school guys against higher level competition. The guy that I'm really excited about in terms of tight end is uh, Curtis Hodges out of right. Arizona State. And we talked about that before. He's he is kind of the opposite. He's played a lot of inline as opposed to um, Cole Turner, who played basically big slot receiver for for Nevada. And he played in line. Uh, Hodges did. And he's got he's a converted wide receiver basketball background and he is silky smooth with his feet and his hips and I think if you're looking for a guy who could be like crazy high ceiling that's the guy you look at like he is he's an athlete like he moves in space like a much smaller man and I don't know why he didn't get drafted higher and I'm sure there's some there's something else there that we got to figure is. out. Yeah, there usually is that's right 
Um, but in terms of a guy that is like, I, I would expect him to be performing better earlier in camp just because he comes from like a more pro style offense. He played in line more. And I think he'll flash earlier in training camp because he's just, I think he's a better athlete. Um, now that's not to say uh, Turner won't develop because I think he can, he shows good physicality when they have him line up as fullback. He just doesn't really know how to coordinate his body as a run blocker yet. But I think the the mind is willing, the body just isn't there yet from a learning standpoint. So I'm not, I'm not saying don't get excited about Turner. I think you should be, but I think a guy that's going to be a little bit ahead of the curve is Hodges. If, if he's got the right makeup, which I don't sure, know sure. about. He also right. comes from Hodges comes from an offense, which is like a run first offense. So didn't get a lot of targets, but I think there's two guys there that are, that the fan base should be really excited about in terms of growing as receivers, you know, cause they want, everyone said they wanted big ride receivers. Um, Turner six, 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 six and a half. 245 pounds can run pretty good again like tightness there's some stiffness there and Hodges is 6'8 256 and looks like a wideout when he runs so don't worry about having big bodies around there are plenty of them it's just about how you how they develop over the next what is that four four months three months yeah. whatever it is and it feels like even with getting both of them that if there were questions about Hodges you kind of um hedge your bets by right. getting Turner in here right and yeah. and if he pays off then you you know okay then you know if not you got you got another guy, and I think and they they got a really similar skill set. And like I said, I think Hodges has a much higher upside. But I think that from what I've heard about Turner, he's like kind of got that pro ready mindset, which I think is you know that's worth its weight in gold in my opinion. So I think it just it just depends. You've got kind of two guys, similar skill sets. One who could be the next Jimmy Graham, one who's going to be a solid pro, and you know with a lower floor. So fans should be excited about both those guys. Uh, but they both have to do a little bit of growing in order to be productive contributors of this offense. Um, Chris Paul, just a couple more things here. Chris Paul, what, how long – it's hard to say without seeing them in person. I know that. Yeah. But having watched the film, and he's obviously a, a seventh-round pick, so those guys aren't coming in and being instant contributors typically. Yeah. So how long would you look at a guy like that? Because they need some help on that offensive line. They have Schweitzer, they have Sadiq. A yeah. right guard, possibly. They can always do something more. They got Leno after the draft. Mm -hmm. um, so with a guy like Paul, though, how long do you think it might take him to get ready to be able to contribute just based on what you're seeing and just what you've seen of this skill set on film? Right. So I think with Paul, the interesting thing, you know, Tyler Smith, the guy that Dallas drafted in the first round, yep. they went to the same school and they play right. in a very similar manner. Tyler Smith's obviously like this elite upper echelon athlete. And Chris Paul is not that far behind him. I think he ran a 4.86 at the combine at 330 pounds. So big, fast, twitched up guy. But the thing that I got from all my O-line buddies when I talked about both those guys is like they just weren't coached up very well. Mm. So how smart is that kid? How do they take coaching? Because they are both of them were big balls of clay. You know, like when they got their hands on people, you were just like, I love this. I love how he moves to the second level. I love how he's able to dig this three technique out. But what I hate is like his pass set angle because he's like setting to nobody. He's not using his hands like it's, you know, like there's some rawness. Like he, he drove a guy off the ball, uh, John, on his tiptoes, like which you never <laughs> see. You know, usually those guys are all dug in with the sides of their feet and they're driving guys out. So obviously a very powerful man. Um, but again, very, very, very raw. But I, you love you love that. You love them securing that type of athlete in the seventh round because he's going to help you out because he's just so big and so physical. And if he, and if, and if that light bulb clicks on, like you're going to get a guy who's going to be a starter, which is, you know, or he's a, or he's a practice squad guy for the rest of his career. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. that's kind of what you're dealing with. Like if, if it clicks awesome, 
but that's a big if because there's a lot of ground to cover from a technical standpoint to get you where you want to go. You know, speaking of Tyler Smith, we again, you had mentioned him, yeah. I think in one of the last, previous podcasts, but I asked somebody over here, we were talking about, he said, well, there's some linemen we like later. I said, Tyler Smith. And the response was a quick, shh. Because <laughs> they were hoping, I think, that he would fall to 47. Now he yeah. didn't, and he wasn't going to, but that was a guy that I know they liked. So then it makes sense that they had a good chance to watch Paul yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, did you have a chance to watch the corner much, Christian Holmes? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the thing about the corner is it's hard to t- – corners are hard to tell, period, right, just because they're not around the football that much. But there's a guy in terms of just physical measurables. He's 6'1", 205. I think he had a 40-inch vertical at his pro day, ran well at it, better at his pro day than he did at the combine. And so I think that opened a lot of people's eyes because his tape's not bad, you know? And so like with not bad tape and those kind of measurables, you say, oh, maybe he can grow into something. I, he's, he's a little ways off, I think, you know, but in terms of the measurables, like the ball of clay type of thing, I think you feel good about it. I like his technique actually, like in press situations, he gets a little bit tight off ball coverage and you can see his, he's like, he's like trying really hard to do the right thing. And he kind of loses some of his twitch and athleticism because he's working so hard at it. Hopefully you can kind of get with him and say, hey, man, like give him some rules, give him some guidance that kind of levels some of that out. But I think there is something there. And again, to have both those guys follow you in the seventh and you can secure them here to this organization, I think is pretty fantastic. I'll just say that. Like, I think they both are high upside guys. I think the corner could contribute maybe even at safety at some point because he's a big, bigger body guy. Uh, but you like him and like, you know, the interviews are all, they say the right thing. So in terms of seventh round value, I think to get a guard, at least who could be a potential starter and a corner who could probably contribute on special teams this year and maybe grow into something else, um, I think is awesome. It's just, it's, it's just a farther leap for them than it is for everybody else. And that's why they're there in the seventh round. Last thing, what do you say they still got to go get this? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think they've addressed all versions of everything that they need right it's just about the level of focus that they've given it right so i you know they probably need a cornerback depth depth. they drafted a cornerback but i don't think i'd be mad if they got a veteran player to come in and kind of be a be a presence in that room be a rotational piece in that room um o-line depth i think has gotten much better again i think it depends on how you feel about um chris paul moving forward honestly like and I wouldn't feel great about it. So you probably bring in a veteran to compete in training camp just to make sure you got something in case that doesn't happen, in case that growth doesn't happen. Because I think with him, the thing is like, as soon as you get him with Masco, who's going to, you know, it's really good. You get him all drilled up really quick. I would expect to see a big, a big turnover very quickly from him. But if that doesn't happen, then you got to have someone in there that can play in that kind of swing guard role. Um, yeah, and so a defensive tackle, you probably need another another guy in there. You know, star is star uh, Lotulele. Is that yep. signed yet? Is he signed? I, think so. I think he's still out there. That's a guy right. that they were always talking about after the draft. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be a nice piece to bring in, have a four man rotation, then probably bring in one more, just you know, kind of bump from practice squad to active if you need it. Um, edge edge rotational depth, I think, would be something to just keep an eye on, depending on Chase's injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done a good job of receiver quarterback. We didn't even talk about Cole Kelly, who I think is an interesting piece to bring in as a developmental guy, um, as an undrafted free agent, but yeah, I think those are, the th- and then probably linebacker. That's the other one. So D line linebacker, probably a veteran at cornerback and then a veteran on the O line. I think those are the things I'd like to see. And then if, if Chris Paul develops, you cut the veteran and you move on, 
Um, but you, you definitely still need a depth depth piece at linebacker and depth piece on the defensive line. And I think it also depends on how Sadiq Charles develops if they want to try and right. guard. That's well, another that's another piece of the puzzle. It was so funny when I was watching these guards for day two. I was like, well, Sadiq's better than this guy. Sadiq's better than this guy. Sadiq's got a higher upside than this guy. And so I'm sure they had the same thought. Like Sadiq is usually gonna, that is how they think. So right, and like this guy's gonna this guy. Uh, Sadiq right now it has a much higher upside than any of these guys we've watched and that's how I felt too so I was like well yeah I think you feel pretty good about being in that situation having him Sadiq Schweitzer all there and you know you signed Norwell so not a not a huge need but just if I'm being picky that's what I'd say. Logan you're the absolute best you got anything coming up that you need to tell people about? You know, we're going to do a draft re- draft recap, um, which will be up on NBC Sports Washington probably uh, tomorrow. Or we're filming it tomorrow, so it'll air on Tuesday or something like that. And, uh, you know, all my Instagram stuff, I'm going to have a breakdown of Jahan Dotson here coming up soon. So just keep an eye on that stuff. My Instagram is Logan underscore Paulson 82. And, John, I always appreciate talking ball with you, man. This is the best, man. I, we, I, I'm, I'd say we could talk for hours, which probably you know, your wife may not be happy about that. <laughs> I think I've been, I've been married long enough where my wife is like, whatever, that's okay. So, but I appreciate it. I always learn a lot. And so I enjoy it. So thank you very much. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, bud. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Friday talking to Penn State wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield about Jahan Dotson. Talk to you next time.